Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into the Word of God this morning. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 13. Beginning at verse 25. Can we all stand in reverence to the Word of God today? The Word of God says, At the end of the 40 days they return from exploring the land. This is the Israelites, the spies, and the promised land. So the Word of God says, At the end of the 40 days they return from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Hadesh, the desert of Paran. They reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses an account. We went to the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities is fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, living in the country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of this land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are in great size. We even saw the Nephilims there. Notice this, and they came. We seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Let me jump over to verse 14, verse 1 and 2. And that night the people in the community raised their voices, and they wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? I want you to go to verse 23 and we're going to stop right here. Notice what God said as a result of this. Not one of them will ever see the land I promise an oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants were inherited. I want to speak to you this morning before we pray on the subject of. Demonic persuasion through perception. Demonic persuasion through your perception. How demonically speaking, they have the power to persuade you by lying to you using your perception, how you choose to see things. I believe this morning a lot of us here need some help with your thinking, your perception, and your view of life, God, yourself, and even others. How many of you need this message already? Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Help us to understand it, apply it to our lives, and set us free in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. You guys can have a seat. This message was actually written in my journal a few months ago, many months ago, like three or four months ago. The Lord impressed in my heart this message, this sermon I'm about to preach to you, so I wrote it down by hand because a few months ago, I could remember taking the train to go somewhere. And as I'm waiting there in the train station, this sign appeared on the floor. And it says, Mind the Gap. And, you know, I thought it was crazy, but when you see this sign on this train station, it's a warning. And it's telling you to mind the gap. So there's between the floor and the train, there is a gap. And it says to mind it. And to mind simply means to think with caution. To think about it. So I really realized as I looked at this sign that one of two things can happen. I could follow these instructions and mind that gap and think about it and cross over it safely to my destination, the train, or I could not mind it, not think about it, not care, and fall in between the gap and pretty much ruin my day. So the difference between making it and not making it was all in my mind. How I mind it. What a message there. Because I realize that the difference between your life and victory and success or misery and failure, I believe, is all in your mind. And in between the life of victory and a life of misery, in between a life that God wants you to have versus what the devil wants you to have, there is a gap going on there. And that gap is all in your mind. And if you're not careful with your mind, if you're not careful with how you think, it can mean the difference between peace and anxiety, joy and depression, anger and love. So I believe today, there's a lot of people that are ignoring the gap. And their minds are not where it's supposed to be. You see, that sign is placed there because it's saying we want you, as you're walking, to think about this gap. Put your mind on this. And if you don't put your mind on this, you can stumble, get hurt, and pretty much ruin your day. So I believe that this message, I wrote it down because I saw that the Lord was impressing on my heart that there is a big significant impact on your mind. How you choose to think. How you choose to set your mind on things. And what you choose to think about. So I really want to ask you this question today. What's on your mind? And what do you think about? How are you thinking as a result of your thinking? Because many people don't mind where they need to mind. They don't really think about what they're thinking about. And therefore, I believe that the devil loves to really mess up your mind because he knows ultimately it will mess up your life. And the story we just read in Numbers proves this point. You see, the book of Numbers was talking about the first generation of Israelites. 
This was the generation that lived in Egypt. This was the generation that lived in bondage. This was the generation that cried out to God and God came through and God set them free. We know the story. This is the generation that killed an innocent lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. This is a generation, the first generation that escaped death. This is the generation that God opened up the sea for. They left Egypt and this is the generation that God had a plan for, that God had a destiny for, that God had a better way for, and a better life for. This is the generation that God says will be blessed upon your descendants and children. This is the generation that God wanted to use as an example of a life of victory in the Lord. That's that generation. But you fast forward 40 days after their freedom, 40 days after the miracle of the sea opening up, and they missed their opportunity for a better life. They forfeited the promise of God. The promised land was for them. The promised land was given to them. And even though they had access to this promised land, a better life, their choice and their rebellion led them to forfeit it. And I don't know about you, but I'm almost certain that you're here today and you have no intention on forfeiting the destiny and the plans that God has for your life. I'm sure that you don't want to forfeit the life that God has done on the cross for you to live. I'm absolutely certain that no one says, now I'm going to choose misery and I'm going to choose to live a life of normalcy and I really don't want to reach my full potential. Who in the right mind thinks like this? But see, this generation sadly wandered for 40 years in misery, in regret, and sadly died. Never having obtained the promise of God. Never having crossed over to the life that God had given them. And these were the children of God. And it's sad because this is an example to us. That if you're not careful, you can forfeit the best life God wants to give you. You can give up your blessing, your promise, your destiny. If you're not careful with your choices. I like how silent it is. Because just because the Lord has given it to you, doesn't mean you're destined to receive it. Just because the Lord said, I have given you this land, proves to us, based on this first generation, you won't receive it. The Israelites remind me of us today. Let me explain why. The Israelites were in bondage. Do you remember your life before Jesus Christ? Do you remember when you cried out to Him like they cried out to God? And do you remember now that this is the Israelites that killed an innocent lamb whose blood was the reason that death passed them by? 
Do you realize that the Israelites are a symbol of Christians today? Because there was a point in our life before Christ that you were in bondage, but because of the innocent lamb that was slain, his blood caused us to be forgiven of our sins, and because of that we have come to life and we will not see death. Do you know that the Red Sea, according to Scripture, is a symbol of baptism? The old life completely going away and the new life going ahead of you? And it's interesting because the Israelites, they trusted in the Lamb, they were on the blood, they were baptized almost, they were, and it has all this picture of it. Sadly, they died. So you can be a Christian, a born-again believer, you can be saved and still miss the promises of God. Like the Israelites, they had access to the promised land, but they never got it. You know that in Christ, we have access and we have a promise in Him. The Lord promises rest. But how many of you have rest right now? The Lord promises joy, but how many of you can honestly say you're living a life of joy? The Lord promises peace, but there's a lot of people that are living far from peace. The Lord has promised us victory, but there's a lot of believers who do not have victory in their lives because you are maybe forfeiting whatever God has promised you. We may have access to the promises of God, but it doesn't guarantee that we're going to receive it. And maybe today, like those Israelites, you're living a life of misery. You're living a life of bondage. You're living a life of anger and depression and low self-esteem and low self-worth and, and bitterness and rage and jealousy. And you're living a life that God does not want you to live. And your life is far from the life God has given you. And just because I have access to all these promises of God does not mean I'm living it. There are so many Christians today that we have the access and the promises of God, but they're not living in it. In fact, you have chosen a life of fear. You have chosen a life of anxiety. And you've chosen a life of meaningless. And you've chosen a life of depression. You've chosen a life of anger and bitterness and negativity. And you really think that God is looking down at you right now and he's like, mm, you made it. This is why I saved you. This is why I called you. This is what I died for. I died on that cross so that you can be miserable. So that you can live your life always down and discouraged. We all have the promise of God in our lives. But I don't want to be this generation that just dies. Never really see what God could have done had I obeyed. What God really could have accomplished had I been faithful. What God really would have given me. I don't want to live with I should have and I would have and I could have and I regret. I want to die and see Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You lived the life that I died for. But some of you, you're just paying taxes and waiting to die. 
just waiting to die. I can't wait to be in glory with the Lord. Glory is here on earth. It's right now. You don't have to wait to be six feet under to be in the presence of God in His kingdom of heaven to say, now I have joy. The Bible says, as in heaven, so shall it be on earth. Heaven on earth is a real concept. That's why a lot of people don't even want to be in a Christian faith because they have an encounter with you. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I can't stand this song. I hate this person. Look at them. They think they're better than me. Oh, God, please bless me. Bless me, Lord. And God said, I did. It's over there. I've given it to you. But your attitude and your choices are messing it up. And don't you think because I have given it to you, you're going to get it. You can forfeit it. Ask yourself why. Why did this first generation forfeit the promised land? The better life. The blessing. The answer would amaze you. Perception. Perception is so powerful. It's so powerful that we don't even mind it. We don't even think about how we're seeing things in our life. And many of our bad choices are a direct result of our bad perception. I believe that many marriages end because of wrong perception. I believe today that teenage suicide is at an all-time high because of wrong perception. I believe that anger and bitterness and depression and discouragement and low self-esteem is all a direct result of wrong perception. And how people, both old and young and in between, are choosing to see things in their life. How they're choosing to see themselves. How they're choosing to see God. How they're choosing to see life in others. Your perception is so powerful. But perception is more than what you see. Perception is not just what I see. It's how I choose to see it. Perception is an interpretation of what you see in your vision. So a perception is not what I see, it's how I see. So my question is not, what do you see today? Because if you say, I'll answer that, I see misery, I see cancer, I see divorce, I see child rebellion, I see this, I see that, that is reality. But if I ask you, how do you see? That all depends on you. Oh, I see myself failing. I see myself alone and I see myself never making it and I see myself ugly and I see myself this and I see myself not measuring up and I see myself and I see this and I see that. How are you seeing? That's perception. Not what you see. 
Because we tend to think that we need to think positive. That's stupid. Just be positive. Don't people like that deserve a punch in the face? I'm just being honest. Be positive. It's like this mind trick. Just think of something else. Think of good thoughts. But what if your reality is so real that it hurts? Come on now. What if reality is your life is it, pretty bad? What if reality is, man, my marriage is done? What if reality is you lost your job? What if reality is that person broke up with you and left you? What if your reality is your child died? What if reality hits you that you did lose your home? Can positive thinking then help you? I think not. Stop lying to yourself. There's so much power, though, in how you choose to see it. How you choose to see yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror. Why is perception so powerful? Because perception involves your mind. And any time your mind is involved, or your thoughts are involved, there's room for error, false interpretation, an opportunity for Satan to deceive you and cause pain. Anytime your mind is involved, Satan is close. And if perception involves your mind, it's no wonder, demonically, they love to use perception to get you to forfeit your destiny and your life in Jesus Christ. Let me prove it to you. In 1 Peter 5.8, it's clear that Peter is warning the church about the devil. He says, be self-controlled, be alert. In other words, be in mind, be alert. Your enemy, the what? The devil. Peter is talking about the devil, not bad problems, not bad people. He is talking about the devil himself. I don't care if you think this is an analogy or a symbol. It doesn't stop the fact that I'm going to tell you the truth. The devil is alive. He is real and he wants you. He wants the church. He wants to save, but they can't take my soul, but they can take your joy. And you will not be as effective as a Christian that God wants you to be effective because the devil has you all tripped up and trapped up. I like that. Tripped up and trapped up. I, didn't, I just came up with that. That's good. Tweet it. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. Now, I know it's not a lion, but my cat prowls like a roaring lion. I know, Wong, I know. And as he's prowling, the reason he prowls and gets low is because he has his eye on something. 
and he's about to attack. The cutest little devil ever is that little cat of mine. The reason that Peter says the devil is like a prowling lion is because right now the devil has his attention not on you, but on something about you. And he wants to attack. So the Bible says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Love this. Because that word, be self-controlled, means to have us control and be sober-minded. How many of you remember what it was like to be sober or not sober? When you're sober is when your mind is acting right. When you're sober, you can walk straight, think straight, talk right. And Peter used this analogy and he said, the devil has his attention on you, but it's not just on you. The devil is after your mind. Your mind. Of all the warnings Peter could have given, he said, you better watch out your mind. You better watch your mind. You better mind your mind. You better think about what you're thinking about so the devil doesn't get you. He wants you and he wants your mind. That's why when Jesus, in Mark chapter 5, 15, I believe, Jesus walks into the cemetery, he sees a demonically possessed man, naked and in chains. Meaning, the, the term nakedness means to be in shame, and chains are a symbol of bondage. So maybe this devil right now has you a life of shame and a life of bondage. And Jesus came to him, he saw the man who was possessed, this is the man that Jesus healed from a legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right, what? Mind. You see that when the devil had this man, and the demons had this man possessed, and when he was in chains, and the devil had control of him, one of the indications that the devil was ruling this man's life was he was not in his right mind. You want to know if the devil is after you and he has control over you? Examine your thought life. Because if you're thinking thoughts of anxiety and suicide and depression and worthlessness and insignificantness, then you can guarantee the devil is close. Because the mind is supposed to align with the Word of God. But if your mind is not accurate to the Word of God, it's because you're listening to other thoughts. You're not in your right mind if you're not thinking godly thoughts. I asked myself and I prayed, Lord, why is it that the devil wants your mind? I love it because the Bible says this man was clothed and in his right mind. Think about this. Think about the worst decision you ever made. Think about your regret. Young people, listen to me. All the older people are going to agree right now. There are some things you did, people you dated, 
actions you performed. And you look at it now, and there's one question on your mind. What, fill it in, was I thinking? You ever look at pictures of the early 90s and 80s and some of you 70s? And you say, what was I thinking? I can't believe I thought that looked good on me. I can't believe I thought that person was the one. I must have been out of my The answer to that question? Yes, you were. Out of your mind. That's why the devil loves it. Because the worst decisions and bondages you have, he needs to get you to do when you're out of your mind. Come on, am I preaching good this morning? You're out of your mind. Listen, I'm your pastor. I'm your friend. I love you. But for years, I look at some of you and I say, they're out of their minds. I sit down in counseling. I may be smiling, nodding, holding my hand on the Bible, but inside my mind, I'm thinking to myself, this person is out of their mind. And all my crazy people agree, amen? Out of your mind. That's why Satan wants you out of your mind. And I, I pray and I said, Lord, but why? Tell me why, God. Why the mind? As I pray, the Lord just impressed on my heart. I know it was the Lord when he speaks. Because Satan knows firsthand how destructive the power of the mind is. Persuasion. Think about this. Satan wasn't born Satan. He didn't come out of the room like that. You know, nothing crazy like that. I don't know what that was, but that was my <laughs> devil impression. That might have looked like some of your children when they came out, but that's not, that's not the devil. <laughs> anyway, focus, David. Okay, so anyway, they, you know that the devil was an angel of light. That, that's pretty nice. The devil was the head. He wasn't just a worship leader. He was the head. He was like Frankie. Head worship leader. Oh, Frankie, go. That's why I always say that the most demonically possessed people are the worship team. It's crazy because the devil knows worship. The devil attacks worship. That's a whole other sermon. But let me get back on track here. The devil was the head honcho of all the angels. So I imagine this angel of light directing the angels of choir, billions of angels. Oh, 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 amazing. And as the angel is just directing the music, he said to himself, I perceive I'm pretty awesome. Hey, I'm pretty good at this. If I can direct the choir, I can probably direct the world. Hey, I perceive that maybe I'm God. And in his mind, he thought himself to be like God. And deserving. Why is it that I'm directing worship? Worship should be directed to me. 
And he had prideful perception of himself, an arrogant perception. He thought himself to be God, and God quickly had to remind him, you're not God, by kicking him out of heaven into earth to be damned forever in hell. And when the devil saw what he lost, and he forfeited the life he could have lived, he knew that he got in the mess he did, and he got in the mess he was in, all because of a wrong perception of himself. Are you guys following? So the devil was on earth, he forfeited heaven, he messed up his life, and he said, man, I was wrong in how I thought, and man, my perception was off, and I destroyed my life because of perception. Wait a minute. If this worked on me, I bet it can work on the mankind. So he comes strutting along to Eve, and he said, Hey, girl, what you doing? Nothing, just chilling here in the garden, just walking around, enjoying my perfect life with my perfect man and my perfect God. Isn't life perfect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about them fruits? Look at that tree. Yeah, but that's the tree that God said not to eat. Yeah, I know that's how you see it now. But but you know what the devil had to do? Genesis 3, 6. When the woman what? Not thought. When the woman what? Saw. Now, let me tell you the truth. Did the tree change forms? No. Did the fruit change fruit? No. Did the tree grow more? Did it grow more? Did it change at all? No. What changed? Her perception of it. Ooh. That's why you fall into the sin you're in. Because all the devil has to do is get you to see the sin differently. Not so bad. There's worse things out there. Come on. When she saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the what? I. Now she desired it. The devil used this trick of deception perception because he was first deceived in his perception of himself. And if the devil knew that his perception caused him his destiny, don't you think he's using the same strategy on you? We just praise God right now for this truth because it's going to set you free. It's going to set you free. All the devil has to do is change your perception. That's why I've always wondered how I used to have friends, and I use the term used to, Boldly. I used to have friends that loved me. And it's like overnight they changed and hated me. And I never changed. I was the same David, the same great, awesome, godly, loving pastor that I am. But I believe that what did change was just perception. That's why we end things we shouldn't end. The devil gets people to end their life. Because of wrong perception. The devil gets you to end your dreams because of perception. He gets you to end your marriage because of perception. Relationships are broken because of perception. All the devil has to do is change the way you view something, someone. 
or circumstance to get you to a position where he can control you. It's all perception. And there are so many Christians today in bondage when they shouldn't be. And so many of you are miserable because the devil has you perceiving life and yourself and others and even God the wrong way. Let me give you an example of this by this man. His name was Hiro Onada. I know I butchered that name, but listen. Hiro fought in World War II. And during the war, his camp was attacked. And Hero quickly fled to the jungle. He ran for his life and he hid. And he hid. He hid. And he learned to survive. But he struggled to survive. He was hungry. He was cold, he was miserable, he was scared, and he was just there surviving and surviving and surviving. A few months later, the war ended, and planes flew everywhere, dropping thousands upon thousands of flyers, saying, war is over. And as Hero got one of those flyers in the jungle, When he looked at it, he thought to himself, this is a lie. This is a trick of the enemy. The war is not over. They just want me to come out so they can kill me and imprison me. And he chose, even though the war ended, he chose to survive in that jungle for 29 years. And it wasn't until 1974 that his old friend came kneeling he had to be alive and actually found him in the jungle. And his friend had to persuade him, the war is over, you can come out. And after days and days of persuading him and talking to him, he finally came out and realized that the war ended 29 years ago. And he also realized that he lost 29 years of his life because he was perceiving things the wrong way and I'm afraid you're losing the best years of your life because the devil has persuaded you of a lie and you have convinced yourself of what is not true and you have chosen a life of bondage when the war is over Jesus has won and there is freedom in your life It's sad that you're going to die and be in heaven and God's going to look at you and say, you chose to live a life of bondage when I died to give you freedom. All because, well, I thought. The devil has you persuaded. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not spiritual enough. You'll never make it. No one loves you. Die. Kill yourself. Give up. God hates you. And all along you're believing it. And you're choosing to live a life of bondage. Perception will affect your behavior and your attitude about yourself. 
and God and others. That's why, and I'll prove it to you, the nation of Israel saw the enemy and the first thing they said is we're like grasshoppers to them. The first thing false perception does, it puts it on yourself. A grasshopper in that time was considered a worthless animal, good for nothing. And maybe you're convinced you're good for nothing. You're worthless because of your past, because of your weaknesses, because of any area of your life you're not strong in, because of what people have told you, because of what you suffered. You're convincing yourself, I'm not good, I'm not better, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, God hates me, why would God use me? I'll never make it, I'm good for nothing, I'm worthless, look at what I did, look at what I don't know, look at what I can't do, and you put yourself in this grasshopper mode and they went to themselves and not only that and then transferred over to God has God really brought us out here to die where do their false perception go after themselves God that's why you're so miserable because you have a wrong perception about God. Some of you view God as he's an angry God who can't stand you, who's waiting for you to mess up. And the second you mess up, I'm going to get you. You picture God breaking through a door. He is Johnny. I'm going to get you. And you view God as a God of vengeance and he hates you and he can't stand you and wants nothing to do with you. It's no wonder you can't pray right, you can't think right, you can't go to church right, and you can't act right. Because who can act right when they think God is the worst towards them? It went from himself, God, and poor little Moses. Moses did this to us. Moses led us. They forgot that Moses led them out of Egypt. Moses prayed for them, provision. He guided them. He helped them. You know why? Because false perception makes you very ungrateful of good people in your life. The minute you get mad at them, you forget every other good thing they've ever done. Can I get an amen, hallelujah, preach at something? The minute they mess up, oh, they're selfish. They weren't selfish when they helped you. Oh, they're so mean. They weren't so mean when they gave to you. No, but they're, they're different, Pastor. They're different. No, the devil has you perceiving that. Because if there's anything the devil hates, is fellowship. And being one in mind with your body of believers. I haven't changed. You haven't changed. They haven't changed. It's all perception. Perception got on themselves, God, and others. Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. But see, you have to understand something about this. If you're praying for God to change your mind, it's not going to work. <gasps> How can you say that? Listen. I'll prove it to you. How many of you have prayed that prayer? Did it work? Ah, okay. 
Didn't work. Lord, change my mind about this person. You meet that person, and it didn't work. You think that God is just going to make you wake up one day, and you're going to fall in love again, all over again with your spouse. You think God's going to sprinkle some angel dust or something magical, and you're going to be the nicest person in the world. I don't know what happened. I woke up, and I'm so spiritual. I woke up this morning, and I just feel like loving on the world. I don't know how it happened. I just prayed this little prayer, and it's like I'm a whole new person. I think different. No. That word, mind, is the Greek word naus, which literally means understanding. Change your life by changing how you understand things. But here's the problem. Deuteronomy 29.4. We'll close with this. That to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or an eye that sees, or an ear that hears. And I know what you're thinking. We're in trouble! Because if we can't possess the power of understanding and seeing light and hearing light, how are we ever going to transform, Pastor? You killed it! Don't you understand? Transforming your mind is not something you ask God for. Because you and I will never have the power to understand right. As long as you're human, you will never see things right all the time. You'll never hear right all the time. You'll never understand things all the time. You don't have that capability. If we did, we wouldn't need God. Caleb is mentioned in Numbers, and he said, First generation of Israelites, you guys are done. You forfeited your promise. But Caleb, I'm going to let you cross over. And your children and your children's children and then I will be blessed as well. Because Caleb went through the same land, saw the same giants, had the same fear. The only difference with Caleb and all the other spies is how Caleb chose to perceive it. While they saw it as an act of God abandoning them, Caleb saw it as a God-giving opportunity. But how did Caleb develop such a right perception of life and God and himself? How did Caleb just say, hey, we can do this. God has given us this land. Don't worry about them. We're not grasshoppers. We can do this. And he was encouraged. And I said, man, give me some of that. I want to be encouraging. And I want to encourage and be encouraged. And I want to believe for bread for better. I want to believe for the impossible. I want to denounce any demonic lie and walk in my destiny. How did he do it, God? Tell me. Tell me. And I thought it was something big and amazing as I studied. It was so simple. I felt stupid. Verse 23, it says it. No one will ever see the land I promised. 
No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Look at verse 24. The Bible says that Caleb, my servant Caleb has a different spirit. And here's the answer. Follows me wholeheartedly. Not a prayer. Transformation of your mind is not a prayer. It's a walk with God. You know that as you walk with God daily, when you're on your knees early in the morning, when you're in prayer and you're reading the scriptures and you're meditating on His Word and you're asking God to speak to you and you're listening to worship music and you're walking with God every day, it's only a matter of time till your mind begins to renew itself in the perception of God. So as you walk with God, you start thinking like God. As you walk with God, you start seeing like God. As you walk with God, you start hearing God. As you walk with God, you start living like God. So when a devil shows up with a lie, you said, not today, devil. No, because I know the truth and your mind is renewed. In fact, I can guarantee that if you have a problem with perception, there's a greater problem. It's your walk with God. I guarantee your walk with God is weak if your thought pattern is weak. Because there's no one that has a strong walk with God that struggles with wrong perception. Because they know who they are. They know who God is according to this and nothing else. But the devil has lied to you. That's why I believe that you first need to pray and say, Lord, I need a change in my perception. And God will say, yes, you do. But before I can change your mind, I need to change how you've been walking with me. If you can spend more time with me than you do on that thing or that person, I can transform your mind. If you come back and pray with me like you used to, I can change your mind. If you have that relationship, that closeness we once had, I can change your mind. But somewhere down the line, the devil has convinced you you're not good enough for God. You're not smart enough. You're not holy enough. And you strayed away from God. But if you want to get your mind right, you get your walk with God right first. We all stand to our feet because I believe today there's demonic persuasion in your perception. And the devil has lied to you. I believe that the Lord has a power to touch your perception. Because in the Bible, there was a man that got touched by Jesus, but it seemed like it didn't work because he was blind, but he started to see only blurry. And he knew there was something wrong with his vision. And I believe in this room or listening online, there's a time in your life that Jesus touched you and things got better because blurry vision is better than no vision. Am I right? So maybe Jesus touched you and your life got better, but you're in a place in your life right now that you're saying, Pastor, I know that my life has been better with Jesus, but I have not been fully delivered because there's still some bondage in my life. There's still a vision problem. And I view myself the 
wrong way and I have you gone the wrong way and I have chosen a life of misery and forfeiting my destiny because the devil has my mind and God Jesus himself touched the man a second time because I believe in the church of God today you need a second touch from Jesus sometimes he said Lord I need you to touch me again I need you to completely heal me of this vision because there is such a demonic persuasion in people because of a demonic perception and if Jesus can make a man who was tormented by a legion of demons if Jesus can clothe him and make him be in his right mind don't you think the Lord Jesus himself can do the same for you this morning well if you're here this morning I want to close the service I want to pray and dismiss you guys but before I do that I want to anoint you with oil the Bible says if any of you is sick anoint them with oil power of a righteous person is both powerful and effective. Now oil is a symbol of God's point on your life. And I believe the devil has made you sick with depression, sick with fear and anxiety, sick with loneliness, sick of self-hatred. And I want to really pray for you today. So if this is you, before we dismiss, I want you to come forward today. There's no shame in saying, Pastor, pray for me. I'm seeing God the wrong way. I'm seeing my spouse the wrong way. My kids, my life, myself, come on. You come forward this morning. Jesus name the devil has no power over you and in Jesus name there is healing Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus I anoint every soul here Father we anoint you with the power of the Holy Spirit any demonic lie that may be in the mind of your children. Jesus, in the power that is in you, in the power of the mind, there is power in you, Jesus. But Father, I pray for every man, every woman, every child, every teenager here as we anoint, Father. The power, Lord, of a righteous prayer is powerful and effective. In the name of Jesus, I anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. May you be transformed in the way you see yourself, in the way you see your God, in the way you see your others and your enemies. May the Lord bring you such a transformation that it transformed those around you and the world. I anoint you and bind fear out of your mind I anoint you and bind any demonic fear or oppression any thoughts of unworthiness every thought that tells you you're not good enough 
In the name of Jesus, any demonic lie must leave now in the power of Jesus Christ. Father, we anoint your church. We anoint your sheep. Knowing that you have a calling for their life. Knowing, Lord, there is power in your name. And in the name of Jesus, hell trembles. In the name of Jesus, every demonic spirit flees. And that is a name that you bear because you have given your life to Jesus. And in Jesus' name, I bind fear. I bind depression. I bind anxiety. I bind demonic lies. I bind suicide, hatred, anger, bitterness, any demonic bondage that has had you up to now. In Jesus' name, you are set free. And you are free indeed. And Father, I thank you for today's service. And I pray for every man, every woman, every teenager, every child that the devil has right now, Father. Father, we pray that we walk in your victory and walk in your destiny and walk in the life you've died for us to have. And let us see with your eyes. Let us hear your word. And let us walk in your life that the devil has no reign in me anymore. You are mightier than what you think you are. You are stronger than you tell yourself. And God has a mighty plan for your life. You are bind right now. You are set free from your past, your sin, your mistakes. Anything that the devil has told you in Jesus' name has been released from your mind. Walk in the victory. Walk in the grace. And walk in the mercy that Jesus Christ has given you. You have access to the promise. You have access to the blessing. The devil try to kill you. The devil try to stop you. The devil try to hinder you. But you came to church today because the Lord had a word for you and the word said if he is free he is free indeed when the sun sets him free and you are free in the name of Jesus walk with confidence trample on that devil because he has been crushed in the name of Jesus set him free now Lord we give him glory in this place hallelujah in the name of Jesus amen change your perception because it's going to change your life. I love you all.